God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. Well, hello again. God bless and welcome to the next episode of Family Discussion. We're so glad that you are here with us today. As always, I am joined by the incredible Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, and I'm loving your adjectives. I'm just wondering how many how many adjectives are we going to get to describe <laughs> me when you introduce me? This is I'm awesome. I'm gonna have to get a thesaurus out at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Every every episode, there should be a new. A new adjective to describe Lisa Spencer. Lisa, you've been doing some traveling. I have. I have. So over Labor Day weekend, I was in Chattanooga. Um, we, my husband and I went to LDR, which is kind of neat. This was my third time. And this was his first time. And, you know, he's been in, in P, involved in PCA churches for, I think, since the late 80s. Um, and so he's not really been to a kind of minority specific focused, you know, gathering of Presbyterians. And right, so this right. was, you know, so this was really neat uh, for him. He he enjoyed it. Um, you know, we heard some awesome speakers. And so, you know, you go the first night and, and it was it is always like uh, the, how it started in 2011. It's the you know church and an institution so in st louis it's you know south city uh for friday night worship and then saturday night saturday we go to covenant college i'm not sorry covenant covenant seminary seminary there yeah yeah um for the you know for for the the daytime conference and so being in chattanooga it was new city fellowship and uh, Covenant College, which is a gorgeous campus on Lookout Mountain. It is awesome. absolutely gorgeous. So um, I, one of the sessions, there were two breakout sessions. One of the, break, the first breakout session that I went to, I thought would be a good topic for our discussion today. And Christina Edmondson, mm-hmm. um, who is at Calvin college and i believe she does intercultural um study not studies but yeah i'm not exactly sure. i know that she's she's studied psychology um yeah, she has a she's PhD. doctor she's dr edmondson yes um in michigan grand rapids part. area uh her husband is an uh, a, pa- a pastor in the orthodox presbyterian church yes micah edmondson and Christine is also one of the co-hosts of Truth's Table, uh, an incredible podcast of uh, three black women, Kemeny Uwan, Michelle Higgins, and Christine Edmondson. So for all of our listeners, if you haven't heard Truth's Table yet, um, I encourage you to head over there and do that. Um, do that knowing that you may not agree with everything that you hear. 
but these are three women who love the Lord. Yes. Christine is one of the co-hosts of that show, mm-hmm. and she was at LDR. So what was her topic? She was at LDR, session? and I just want to get her her title correct. Yeah, uh, Dean of Intercultural Student Development. Okay. Okay. Um, and she does have a PhD in psychology. Um, so she did a session on common grace. Mm. Um, now this is something that I think, I don't know where our listeners are, um, you know, on this topic. I know I wasn't really introduced to it until I got into seminary. I personally think it's an area that we need to probably give a little more attention to in our churches. Mm. Um, because it's, it's one of those things. So last two episodes ago, we talked about what is the gospel, right? right? And depending on how you define the gospel is, you know, that's going to inform how you, you know, consider how the Christian relates to the world. This is another area that's like that. So if we have differences in how we understand common grace, then we're, that is going to inform that area also. How do we interact in the world? How do we learn from the world? How do we observe the world? And basically, and I'm going to let you give more of a definition, but basically it's this understanding that God is always at work in his creation. Right. So that there is, you know, you ask the question where, you know, where does good and bad come from? How is it that Christians who have not received special grace? And I know you're going to probably explain that. But, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. you know, through salvation, you know, through Jesus Christ, through faith uh, in Christ Jesus, how is it that people who reject God can have? an understanding of goodness, right? Because we know God is good, God is love. Where does that come from? And, you know, and so it's this idea that, you know, because God is at work in his creation, we can see, um, you know, the kind of his fingerprints. In one area, you know, one passage of scripture, um, I'm going to later on after you explain this, I'm going to go to another passage of scripture, but I thought this is a good place to talk about Romans one and, um, you know, Romans, uh, one 19 and 20. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so Paul is, you know, he is, I believe is a Corinth, right. And he's looking at this pagan society and he's talking about the righteousness, which comes from above. But then he says this, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So God's fingerprints, his glory is all over the problem is not that they don't somehow see that, it's they don't acknowledge it. He goes on to say how they suppress the truth. Um, and so for us, as a, you know, in my stance is that if we worship the Lord of the universe, right? As Psalm 24, one says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Mm-hmm. It seems to me 
we would be very, very intentional about observing our world. That's what script, that's why scripture tells us study the ant, right? To look at God's natural phenomenon. And here's the thing. It's not just the, you know, the ants and the mountains and the moon, but also image bearers. How are image bearers who reject God? How do they, you know, take this, you know, God's fingerprints and reflect that, even though they don't acknowledge him. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so Common Grace is um, it's really a theological development that begins in John Calvin and really takes on a new character in the 19th and 20th century. Um, there are a handful of writers to know about and to consider if you want to know more about Common Grace, you want to do some reading on your own. There are, there's a little bit in John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. There's also an important essay written by John Murray, 20th century theologian, taught at Westminster Theological Seminary for years. Um, he wrote an essay that you can find in his Collected Writings, Volume 2, on Common Grace. In the Dutch Reformed tradition, there's actually been quite a bit done here. Herman Bovink wrote, uh, what I'm aware of is two separate essays on Common Grace, one that's just called Common Grace, another that's called Calvin on Common Grace. And then Abraham Kuyper wrote three full volumes on Common he's, Grace. Which he's just, a beast. He he's is like a beast. beast. That's, that's incredible. I don't even know how you write three volumes on the breadth of systematic theology, much less one tiny part of it like Common Grace. But he went for it. Three full volumes. They were just translated into English a few years ago, so you can get those if you want to read them. Um, more power to you if you want to read three full volumes of Abraham Kuyper on Common Grace. They're probably incredible. Can't say that I've read them. Um, but Common Grace, if we want to, to define it, I'm going to lean a little bit on Bovink and John Murray in the way that I describe it here. A, a definition I think is helpful is um, from Bavink, and he's reflecting on Calvin's writings because Bavink's contention is that this all begins in Calvin and his response to the Reformation, to some of the errors he saw in the, in the Catholic Church, as well as some of the errors that he saw in the Lutheran Reformation, um, because he's saying that Luther's strong contention that no person outside of Christ can do anything good ignores some of the reality that Non-Christians do good stuff all the time. Um, And so Calvin's wrestling with this, and he argues this. In dependence upon and with an appeal to Scripture, Calvin comes to distinguish between general and special grace, between the working of the Spirit in all creation and the work of sanctification that belongs only to those who believe. God did not leave sin alone to do his destructive work. He had and after the fall continued to have a purpose for his creation. He interposed common grace between sin and the creation, a grace that while it does not inwardly renew, nevertheless restrains and compels. All that is good and true has its origin in this grace, including the good we see in fallen man. And so what Bavink is saying here is that the good things that we see non-Christians do, the good things that happen in this world, 
going back to Paul's writings, even the fact that the rain will fall on the just and the unjust alike, that the sun rises on the just and the unjust alike, all of that is an act of God's grace. All of that, anything good that happens is an act of grace. Because our sin is so devastating that we deserve no good thing. Hmm. Our rebellion against God is so complete that we deserve no good thing, and yet... God continually shines his goodness and grace down on the whole of humankind in one way or another. Now, Amen. none of this grace, and this is important, none of this grace saves. Right. None of common grace saves people from their sins, but it is still gracious act, a gracious facing of God towards humankind. And that, that explains for for. Calvin and for Bavink and for the Reformed tradition, mm-hmm. why we see non-Christians do truly good things, mm-hmm. that's still an act of God's grace in our lives. Mm-hmm. And it's not just doing good things, but it's mm-hmm. about what we know and how even in the knowledge that is obtained through, you know, through non-Christian sources, um, that can reflect, you know, one of the neat courses, neatest courses that I took in seminary, um, was called issue, was called issues and theological, um, method, but really what it was, it was a theology and culture class. And mm-hmm. it was all about, you know, common grace, general revelation, looking at, you know, interpreting God's world. And how we can see, you know, even in movies, like who doesn't like a good movie that has a theme of redemption? You right. know, where does that come from? You know, so even so those who don't acknowledge God, those who suppress the truth, you know, are revealing what they what they know about God, even though they're rejecting him. Um and so this can be seen in a variety of ways. And again, because we are letting script, this is not just, you know, people making things up in the air. This is scripture, right? I just right. read Romans, Romans one. And here's another place where we can see that in Acts 17, where Paul is at the now, you know, help me out with this, uh, Mr. Westminster, because some of us, you know, at DTS, we don't get quite hooked on phonics the way that you all do. <laughs> so. Wow, hooked on phonics. I like that. <laughs> Trouble pronouncing this. The arrow, uh, the. Uh, we'll just go. Areopagus is Areopagus. fine. You can just say arrow. Thank you. Like, arrow, arrow is good. And this is embarrassing, but. Um, we're going to get to the heart of what this says, even though I can pronounce the hill he was on. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, so he's in Athens. Now, what were the Greeks known for? The Greeks were known for wisdom, right? And Paul, and here's another little tidbit of another seminary class I had when I took evangelism, which is one of the last classes I took. Mm. And one of the exercises that we did was to look at four places where Paul evangelize and note the difference like there were some similar threads but what were the differences and how he addressed his audience well and they are different and that says something about the way that we interact with our world right contextualizing the god we have one gospel but we contextualize it for our audience well paul is that's exactly what paul is doing here so right. he's in this, you know, the center where you have these, you know, these thinkers and they're, 
you know, thinking about new ideas and, you know, and philosophy and everything. And he basically, he tells them, I know that you are religious. So let me just read this. Um, and I'm going to start with, uh, actually, I'm just going to start from 22. And I'm going to read through 28. So Paul, standing in the midst of the error, <laughs> good Lord, uh, on that place, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us for, and here's the important thing, in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. And here's the thing. It, in him we live and move and have our being. That's in quotes. He is quoting right. one of their poets explaining the truth about God, what this poet said. Now, does that mean that he's endorsing everything that these poets say? No. But he's acknowledging where these poets have got it right about God, what they perceive about God is, you know, and, you know, there's a saying, I'm sure you say, you know, very uh, Schaeferian um, from <laughs> Francis Schaeffer, all truth is God's truth, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this is the part where, according to Romans 1, we can look at our world and say, where is you know, where is God's glory reflected in his creation, right? Even from a non-Christian source, because that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's pointing to people who have rejected God, who do not know God, but yet somehow have acknowledged truth about God. Amen. And, and that's, for some, maybe controversial, but I'm glad that we are in Romans and Acts because we're not making this up. Bavink's not making this up. Murray's not making this up. They're looking at some of these passages in the New Testament and saying, hey, they're acknowledging that there are unbelieving pagan rebels against God who know stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and, and common grace really does encompass a whole lot of what we call culture and society. Let me go back and read a little more Bavink because I think this will this a little bit of a longer quote, it, it captures just the breadth of common grace, because I think that's really helpful for us. Yes. Um, and it, it comes back to the fact that we are all made in the image of God. You mentioned this earlier. We are image bearers. Mm -hmm. And that is that that is damaged by the fall, but it's not obliterated by the fall. So Bavink says this, traces of the image of God continue in mankind. Understanding and reason remain 
and he possesses all sorts of natural gifts. In him dwells a feeling, a notion of the Godhead, a seed of religion. He's stealing that straight from John Calvin. Reason is a precious gift of God, and philosophy is a splendid gift of God. Music, too, is God's gift. The arts and sciences are good, useful, and of great value. The state is an institution of God. The goods of life do not just serve to provide for man's needs in the strict sense. They also serve to make life pleasant. They're not purely for necessity. They are also for delight. Men still have a sense of the truth and of right and wrong. We see the natural love that binds parents and children together. In the things which, apper to, which appertain to this earthly life, man can still accomplish much good. In spite of the extremely strict discipline that Calvin instituted in Geneva, he shows no hesitation in acknowledging these facts with gratitude. No, he eagerly grants it, second to none, in expressing heartfelt gratitude. Had he not fully acknowledged these good and perfect gifts from the Father of Lights, he would have been in conflict with Scripture and guilty of gross ingratitude. And that's some pretty strong language there that Bobbing's using at the end. He's saying, listen, all of these good things, mm -hmm. all that we see in culture and in society and in the created order, even something as simple as the love that a parent has for a child— all of this is a good gift from the hand of God. And to not recognize these as acts of God's grace towards his creation, according to Bavink, is to be guilty of gross ingratitude and to be in conflict with Scripture. Ouch. Yeah. So I really do think that, um, like you said earlier, we don't talk about common grace enough, mm -hmm. which is why I think that we can sometimes come to some of the issues of our day mm -hmm. and mishear one another. Mm -hmm. um, we will accuse each other of going outside of the scriptures for right. truth. When what some folks are doing is simply saying, no, there is all truth is God's truth. And there is truth outside of the scriptures. No mm -hmm. saving truth outside the scriptures. Right. No saving truth outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. None, but truth nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Um, Two plus two equals four is true, whether stated by a Christian or a pagan. Or not, right. Right. And so I think that if we have a proper understanding of the role that common grace plays in our lives as human beings and, mm -hmm. and the way that God sustains us, the way that he restrains sin, the way that he helps us to learn true things about the world that he created, mm -hmm. then I think that we're going to be a little bit more willing to hear outside voices, mm -hmm. um, yes, to be able to sift through what is true and what is anti-truth, right? but still be able to listen and learn. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, there are really six areas that John Murray recognizes as being a part of common grace, these kind of six aspects of common grace. I'm just going to go through them. Um, I'm stealing the list from John Frame. He wrote a systematic theology a few years ago, and Really, his couple pages on common grace, uh, he acknowledges in the footnotes, he's just basically taken all of this from John Murray. And so um, these six aspects of common grace, God restrains sin. So we are not as wicked as we could be, that even the most evil person that ever lived, if you think of whoever that is for you, the most evil person that ever lived, could have been worse. 
Hitler? Uh, yeah. Idi Amin? Come on. That's <laughs> chilling, right? Like, to think that they could have been even more wicked than wow. they already were. God restrains sin. Um, God restrains his wrath. Can I hear an amen from everyone listening? Amen. <laughs> <laughs> God restrains his wrath. Um, the, the, the wonderful way that a uh, professor of mine at Westminster, Lane Tipton, uh, Dr. Tipton put it this way, that God's wrath is held in abeyance. That is like typical Tipton language right there. But what he's saying is, listen, there have only been a couple times in history that the wrath of God was poured out on humankind. The first time that it happened was the flood where God's, um, a, a, a portion of God's wrath is poured out on the world and on creation. The second time this happens is when Jesus is on the cross, when the fullness of God's wrath is poured out on the Son mm. while he's on the cross. Mm. Um, outside of those two instances, God restrains his wrath until the final day when he will finally pour the fullness of his wrath out on sinful humankind. Yeah. Um, so he restrains sin. He restrains his own wrath. He gives temporal blessings to all. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that there is a sunrise mm-hmm. is a blessing. Mm-hmm. The fact that rain will fall is a blessing. You go to a desert and you find out how much rain falling is a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to a place in the uh, it, it way up north where the sun's only out for a little while. Those few minutes of sun are precious. Mm-hmm. Um, these are blessings that God gives to us and then the the last three aspects have to do with us as unregenerate people unregenerate people do good you know so we can say that a a sinful person can't do anything good in an ultimate sense in that it's not helping them earn salvation in any way Mm -hmm. but when you feed the poor you're doing something good you know when you love your children you're doing something good these are i think undeniably good things that unregenerate folks do just as well as uh, as Christians do. Mm-hmm. Unregenerate people know truth. Um, and finally, unregenerate people, and this one's interesting, experience some blessings of the Holy Spirit. Really? Which is really interesting. So I want to read this little bit. Um, and, and this one, I, I know some people will take some issue with, and I understand why, uh, because we think of the Holy Spirit's actions as being solely for Christians. But here is... um, But he's he's involved in the, you know, in in terms of drawing um, us to mm -hmm. the Father. No one comes to the Father lest the Holy Spirit draw him. And we would say that he regenerates us, you know, so that we believe. Yes. Amen. Absolutely, he does. So here's how Murray puts it, and I'm quoting. This is really weird when you're doing something like this. I'm quoting Frame, who's quoting Murray. So just follow that thread. Unregenerate people receive operations and influences of the Spirit in connection with the administration of the gospel. So when an unregenerate person hears the gospel, even if they reject it, they've still experienced the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit accompanies the preaching of the gospel. Um, influences that result in experience of the power and glory of the gospel, yet influences which do not issue in genuine and lasting conversion and are finally withdrawn. And then he gives, um, Frame gives a couple um, examples of this. 
Balaam, King Saul. In the New Testament, Judas Iscariot, who was Jesus' betrayer, but nevertheless preached the coming of the kingdom, healed the sick, raised the dead, and drove out demons, according to Matthew 10. Judas was right there doing that with the rest of the disciples. And all of that is in the power of the Holy Spirit, not hmm. in their own power. Right. And so, in some way, unregenerate folks even experience the power of the Holy Spirit, and yet, for whatever reason, God's withhold, God withholds salvation. Hmm. Um, and so these are a few of the ways that common grace plays itself out mm-hmm. in our everyday life. Okay. Um, and then what, is, so how does that inform us in terms of when we're looking at the world? So, you know, so one thing that Christina mentioned uh, in her session was about academic disciplines. Right. Um, you know, I think one area that I think this comes up at is, is uh, psychology. Um, that, you know, we should, I know that there's a, there's a strain of Christian psychology that says, you know, whatever we need to, you know, to address our behavior is in scripture and that there is, you know, nothing uh, within that discipline and through a secular source that, you know, that could be useful, but yet, you know, scripture doesn't tell us, you know, how to change oil in our car, you know, it doesn't tell us like how to, how to pay our taxes. You know, there's, there's -hmm. things that scripture, you know, doesn't, you know, doesn't tell us, you know, he gives us everything that we know that we need to know pertaining to, um, you know, to faith and practice. And I know that's another episode for another day. um, And looking (laughs) at, you know, solo, solo scriptura versus solo scriptura. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, when it comes to the disciplines, and here's a here's a big one I think is, you know, kind of, you know, raging in the church right now and creating a lot of disagreement is sociology. You know, how much right. do you look at in in the field of sociology and how, you know, uh, people groupings interact with one another and how much can we, you know, what are the boundaries when we look at... Um, you know, when we look at things, I'm just going to put it out there. I know we're not going to talk about that today, but when we look at things like critical race theory and we look at intersectionality, you know, is this this something that is there something to be gleaned from that? Or are we, you know, is this totally contrary to scripture? And I know that there is some disagreement on that. I know we disagree on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, in this frame of common grace, um, in, in understanding that there, 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 you know, um, truth there, you know, there are threads of truth in, you know, in these disciplines, um, you know, how, what are our boundaries? How do we, you know, how do we discern? How do we look and say, okay, this is compatible with scripture. This is contrary to scripture. And again, I know that's another episode for another day, but you know, it's out there. So, you know, it is, but I think, I think there are, I think there's a couple principles that we can touch on that can help us with this. Mm -hmm. Right. I I do think that, um, that is a little bit of a tease of where we're going to go. We're going to talk about some of these things in the, in the next couple of weeks, you know, how do we, should we, or should we not use something like critical race theory as a tool as Christians, or is Mm -hmm. it, um, is its roots, is is it is it fruit from the poisonous tree? Let's put it that way, right? Mm-hmm. 
here, here's where I think we can go. And this would be my, um, I guess my pastoral advice. If, if this was somebody who is coming to me in my congregation and saying, Hey, I'm reading about this. Um, is this okay for me to learn about? Is this not okay for me to learn about? Can I use this? Can I not use this? Because they're not Christian sources, but they seem to be saying some really good things. Here's what I would say. Um, Everything that is not of Scripture should be learned through the sieve of Scripture. Hmm. So if we're dealing with something like um, medical science, Mm -hmm. right? Medical science has its roots in Darwinian evolution. Um, I mean, that's, that's at least modern, modern medical science mm-hmm. does. I know that we've been doing medicine for a very long time, but modern medicine as it's practiced in the United States today has its roots in, in Darwinian evolution, but we don't just reject it outright because its roots are in a pretty awful place. So what do we say? If Darwinian evolution is the core of your belief, then you're in trouble. But if the gospel of Jesus Christ and if the foundation of the scriptures are the core of who you are as a person, and if you're able to study medicine through the lens of scripture so that you're not rejecting the fundamental tenets of your faith while embracing all of this other knowledge about medicine that God has through common grace allowed us to learn, Mm -hmm. well then, go for it. Learn it. Embrace it. Use it. But if you don't have the gospel clear, and if you don't have the scriptures ready at the front of your mind, so I'm talking about regular time in the Word, I'm talking about scripture memorization, I'm mm-hmm. talking about being in church regularly to hear the preaching of the Word and to be with the fellowship of the saints. If you're not doing those simple spiritual disciplines, then these other things out there, these other schools of thought that do have their roots in non-Christian ideologies, they could lead you astray. Mm-hmm. The question for me initially is not... Hey, is, is, let's evaluate the truth claim uh-huh. uh, that's being made. My initial thing is, okay, are you spiritually in a place where you can interact with those truth claims? Uh-huh. Because if you are not in the word, if you are not in prayer, if you are not in worship, then it, it doesn't matter whether or not you can use those tools. You can't use them correctly. Whether a Christian who's prayed up can doesn't help this person. So we're we're going to, in the near future, get into some of these topics. Right. But I think the presupposition that I'm going to come at it with is, listen, all we're going to talk about of whether or not you can or cannot use some of these tools, mm-hmm. that's irrelevant if you are not in love with the Lord and mm. if you're not dependent on Scripture. Amen. Amen. Well, that's great. That's great. And I, and I think I think this is a good place to stop. Um, now that we've gotten that little teaser out. Um, <laughs> but, but I would say, you know, don't be a, don't be afraid to mm. interact with the world, with even the products of the world. You know, I mean, there's some things that, yeah, it, there's nothing redemptive. It's, you know, a display or contradictory to what we see in Scripture um, but at the same time, you know, when you're looking at, you know, secular sources, you know, secular ideas to listen, to pay attention, to observe where is that, you know, that that author, um, you know, or that musician or that, you know, that filmmaker, you know, where are they reflecting 
some of God's truth of what we do see in scripture. Um, to me, that it, it, it makes me when I do that, to be honest, it actually provokes worship of the Lord, especially when I look at like, look at look at God, you know, that, yeah. he, you know, none of us deserve this. And it, and especially the people that reject him. And yet his right. goodness can still be seen. And that just makes Amazing. me wor- want to worship him more. Amen. So. Amen. Well, that's a great place to stop. Well, we're so glad that you're here with us right now for this episode of Family Discussion. We will be getting into some of these other topics down the road. Um, but what a great word to end on. If you have the right lens, then all of this will end you in a place of worship. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next family discussion.